starting a series that, you know, I'm, Jesus may come back before I get through. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm starting the book of Revelation. So uh, it's going to take a while because there's a lot to cover. But tonight I just want to kind of introduce the, the subject of uh, why we're going there. And the title of tonight is uh, The Jew, the Gentile, and the Church. And um, in this series, we're going to talk about the uh, plan of God for the ages and and, and what it, what's going to look like when Jesus comes back. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. People, uh, people think that's a scary book. Really, it's not as scary as you think. If you understand, it's really simple if you understand it. Uh, Jesus is coming back to be with us for eternity. And he's going to prepare this planet for us. Isn't that exciting? So that's what the book of Revelation is all about. God wants us to be like the sons of Issachar. So tonight's just an introduction. We won't even get to verse 1 tonight or even the next time. Because there's some things you need to know uh, to really understand the book of Revelation. Somebody said, somebody said um, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Um, the Old Testament is the New Concealed. And then the book of Revelation is a combination of them both. So if you really want to understand uh, the consummation of the age and Jesus coming back and, what it's, and, and why, why things will be the way they are and why they're going that direction right now, then you just got to understand some things about the, the promises God made to the Jewish race, the old covenant people that God had in the Old Testament. You also need to understand some things that God is doing in the church now to understand what God wants to do in our future. So uh, we got a lot to share and a lot of things to talk about. First Chronicles 12, 32. I love this verse. It says, of the sons of Issachar. Everybody say, Issachar. It says, who had understanding of the times. That, that really stuck out at me as I read that. Uh, to know what Israel ought to do. So I'm just going to stop. You can read the rest of the verse yourself. Of the sons of Issachar. Now, now the thing that typified them were they had understanding of the times, that is, when, when Israel existed and what was going around uh, on in the nations around them when they existed, but they had understanding of the current events, as it were, uh, to know what Israel ought to do. They understood the rhyme and reason and the scheme behind what was going on in their day. And God wants us to, to be sons and daughters, as it were, of Issachar in our day, so we can have also understanding of the times. You know, um, the world seems like a really crazy place if you don't have some, some backdrop to understand it. Would you agree with that? So, you know, I was thinking today, what if, what if, you, had, what if you never had opened what we call the Bible, 66 books? What if you knew nothing about God, nothing about Jesus, nothing about salvation, nothing about what God said about the future? The world would seem like a really confusing place. And the truth is, most people in the world don't have, obviously, a biblical worldview. There's about 2 billion Christians worldwide. But of the Christians, I would, I would suggest that a very small amount of the believers today really have a, a, a Christian worldview. They don't know what's going to be happening in the future. They've heard that Jesus is coming back, but don't know a lot about it. So the current events seem, seem you know, like a big puzzle. Uh, they're confusing. Um, and so current events, you know, they're, they're, they're quite uh, uh, puzzling without that. So is there going to be a nuclear holocaust? You hear all these kind of, of uh, questions and surmisings from people. Is there going to be enough food eventually for all the people as the world continues to grow and population increases? You, you hear these kinds of things. Um, 
Uh, is the human race going to be, become extinct through some cataclysm of some kind, some strange event uh, in weather patterns? Or is there some big asteroid going to wipe us all away? You see all this stuff in print. I mean, you know, you just think, well, I don't know. Is climate change going to do us in? You hear all this stuff. But see, if you know the Bible, you can filter all that through the understanding of what God said will be happening towards the end of, of, uh, of the age as we know it, and it doesn't bother you as much, and you understand there's a rhyme and a reason and a scheme to all that God is and, and all that God does. Um, uh, one of my things I do like to read when I have some free time is I read, believe it or not, quantum physics. I've got two books on physics. One is The Physics of the Impossible, written by a believer, and the other one is The Physics of Christianity, and uh, this guy's been on some news broadcast years ago, and he wrote a couple of books about, uh, he became a believer uh, by studying physics because he saw that there was an order to all that is, and there was an order to matter. And uh, the first part of the book, The Physics of Christianity, had an entire paragraph that was an equation, and he said, here's what I, here's what I found out, the, the, the uh, universe started with a singularity, and that's what us physics busts believe and all of us brainy people think. But he said, I found out that that singularity is called God. And he said, if you look at, the, at all that is, he said, it, start, it started with an event, and then everything that exists is. And then, and then he says, if you, if, you, if you do the equations, and it was about a paragraph of equations, he said, then it all comes to an end. And it ends the way it began. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and I'm the last. How many know if you really know science and you really, it, it will lead you straight to God. And the creation will lead you straight to God. Because there's order in all that exists. There's order in everything that happens. And when Jesus comes back, people think it's a random happenstance event. The truth is, there's tremendous order in what will be happening as Jesus prepares to come back. In fact, we'll talk about some of the words that talk about the second coming of Christ. As we get into the book of Revelation, you'll find out that Jesus' second coming is not just a one-time event, but it's a combining together of a number of events that just happen uh, on and on and on. And then, and it's not, and then things begin to change, and then he comes back. So it's really going to be an exciting study. I'm excited uh, to... Uh, to begin it, you say, well, well, why is Jesus delaying his coming? There is one reason, because he wants nobody to go to hell. Second Peter 3, 8 and 9, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, a day uh, is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Don't you think God's good? So every day that Jesus' coming is delayed, it's because he wants people to come into the family of God. And how many know our number one ambition should be to be salt and be light and to influence people by how we do our work, by how we drive on 440 and 40 to and from work, right? And by the attitudes we have at the stoplights, right? And, and by how sweet we are to the people in the, in the grocery store that are in the long line like us and some people break in, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why he leaves us here. We're to be light. And so he delays his coming so we can be influencers. I mean, you know, you could get saved and go right to heaven. But it lets you stay here because to the degree that you obey God here in this life after salvation, to that degree, you're going to shine with the glory of God in eternity. That's interesting, isn't it? Don't have time to examine that, but you might want to check that out sometime. Redemption's plan. I love this J.B. Phillips translation. Um, uh, I came across this years ago, Ephesians chapter 1, 9 and 10, J.B. Phillips. Just the way he put it set me off. And uh, really excited him. And he says this, for God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan. Uh, and it is this, he purposed long ago in his sovereign will that all human history should be consummated in Christ. Isn't that awesome? That everything that exists in heaven or earth should find its perfection and fulfillment in him. Um, so, you know, the philosopher says, why do we exist in People philosophize constantly thinking, why do I live? What's, what's the rhyme and reason to life? And there are lots, if you've been to college, you've taken courses on philosophy and why is this this way and why is that that way? And what's the, I mean, why do, why do we live? Why do we have to work? Why do we have to earn money? Why do we have relationships? What's the meaning behind life? The meaning behind life is summed up in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 4. For your pleasure we are and were created. How many hear me? And so until you know that, life is just one big empty bubble and things really don't make sense. I've said it many times when I came to the Lord, it's like life was a big jigsaw puzzle to me as a teenager on drugs and following everything my friends were following. And then when I came to Jesus, it, it felt like in his hand were all the pieces to a jigsaw puzzle that was life. And he began to put the pieces in place. And I had so many aha moments the first several years of knowing the Lord. It's like, well, that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. God created us to know him. Isn't that awesome? So again, the book of Genesis uh, gives us the account. Uh, every ba major Bible doctrine is, uh, has its formation and beginning in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, you, if, you, if you just look at Genesis 1 and 2, God created a perfect world, a perfect universe, a perfect planet uh, with perfect life forms, uh, with um, plant life, animal life, and then uh, the human life. And at the end of the creation of uh, each segment of our world, God stopped and said, behold, it's good. And then when he created man, the last thing he said, behold, it's very good. So everything was ultimate perfection. Think about it. Everything was ultimate perfection when God created us. When I first came to the Lord, these things really astounded me. I didn't understand them. I'd been in church for all of my life, 18 years at the time, but the Bible didn't make sense to me. And and how many know without the Holy Spirit, it won't make sense? But as I began to study and read and God began to reveal, I began to see that, you know, the truth is God placed us on this planet to live here in human bodies for eternity. Is that not awesome? There are enough resources on this planet, not just for a few thousand years, but for eternity. This planet was, is, will exist in perpetual, perpetuity in eternity. This planet will never cease to exist it will never be obliterated. This planet, just like heaven, is eternal. How many hear me? That's an exciting thing to think about. God created us as eternal spirit beings made in his image and in his likeness. And he created, he created a, a, a pristine environment on planet earth that would sustain life in perpetuity 
forever. We were never created to die. So think about it. And I've got a book in my library entitled The Father and His Family. And the whole reason of creation is the loving, fatherly heart of God. The Bible says God is love. And because He is love, He has to have something with, with which to pour His love upon. And so He created the pristine universe and placed on the planet called Earth in a pristine environment, human beings like you and me. And the whole reason He created us is so He could love something. Isn't that awesome? Man, how can you beat that? And so we had endless human life when God first created the first man, Adam and Eve. They were immortal. That means they were not subject to death. We recoil at death because death is unnatural. Uh, anytime I've ever been in the room where somebody died, and any time that I've been close, the six times that death has smiled at me and said, you ready? And I said, uh-uh. You know, I, I knew that God, you know, I just want to stay in this body. And, and anybody that I've been, I've been around that has died. I've had to say, you know, it's okay to go. Because there's something in us that wants to hang on to this body. Why? God created us to live in this body for eternity. In a perfect environment where there's nothing but love and nothing but opulence and nothing but everything that the sensory apparatus, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your skin, everything about you, your emotions can feel and your mind can think and you can experience the wonder and the glory of God through creation. Isn't that awesome? But then sin put it all into a mess. And sin messed up the plan that God had. It threw a monkey wrench into God's plan. And instead of having fellowship with God, we were ostracized from fellowship with God. Uh, instead of living in an immortal body, our bodies became death doomed at, at the point of sin when Adam and Eve first sinned. And, uh, and our body, bodies became mortal. And now we are subject to death. And now, you know, instead of the hundreds of years... Or the, or the eternity that we were to live. And then the Bible, they live for hundreds and hundreds of years. And now if you, can, if you can eke it out for 80, 90 years, you're doing pretty good if you do it right. But that wasn't the original purpose and, and plan of God. And, and uh, uh, our bodies became mortal. And then a curse was placed on the earth. And there's a curse on this planet. The thorns, the briars, the problems, the challenges that we have with the environment. The challenges we have to to grow enough food for the populace on this planet. The challenges that we have in our environment as, are as a result of the fall of man. Most people don't know the things that I'm saying. And then also with the fall of man, as I've talked about Sunday mornings, came God's arch enemy, Satan, who Jesus said comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We've talked about that at length. And then he set up a diabolical scheme here to keep the human race away from God and really to bind this beautiful planet up in a sepsis of darkness and pollution and dread and sin and fear to keep God out. You know, he was kicked out of heaven and see, so he wanted to make this planet just as miserable as he possibly could to kind of stick it in God's eye. Well, you know, the truth is God's going to stick it in his eye one of these days. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. So the book of Revelation is about restoration. It's really about, it's really simple. It's about God showing us 
a, a document that says he is the owner of the planet. We'll get into it. And when that document is unrolled, it's showing that God is the rightful owner of planet Earth. A process will be started whereby a series of events, cataclysmic events will begin that will let us know that Jesus is coming back uh, on behalf of God to become the rightful owner of this place, to kick out the squatter Satan who has been here with his principalities and powers and dark rulers of evil and, and fallen, uh, fallen angels and, and the wicked men of all eternity with a diabolical scheme to keep control of this planet. Jesus is coming back to take it away from them. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. So you've got some, so you, you've got some, uh, you've got some trumpets that will sound. You've got some, uh, you've got some uh, scroll that will be opened. You've got some judgments that are coming. All that's about God cleansing this planet of all that happened after Adam and Eve sinned and all these thousands of years since, which has made human life quite miserable. The book of Revelation is about God cleansing this planet of all of the diabolical entities that have held it in bondage and then coming back and taking the curse off of this planet and creating a new heavens and a new earth where the Bible says dwells righteousness, where once again this planet can be what God created it to be so that we once again can be the father and his family. And the way God worked it out, we inherit glorified bodies when Jesus comes back because we're in death-doomed bodies. My, my father died seven years ago today, and I laid his, uh, along with the undertakers, laid his body in the dirt, and I cried. And when I laid his body in the dirt, they played a bugle because he was in the, he was, uh, in the army. And, uh, and I wept. But uh, as they were putting the last pieces of dirt on his grave, I thought he's coming out of that thing one of these days. And I thought about that again today as I thought about when he left his physical body. Uh, no, Jesus came to write everything that Satan did when we fell. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. The earth is cleansed from the curse. We get glorified bodies when Jesus comes back that we're going to live in for eternity. And we're not going to live in heaven playing, playing harps with halos on our head and wings on our back. We're going to be glorifying God in eternity, living on the earth that was created for us through the eons of time, giving glory to God, enjoying Him for eternity. Is that exciting? So if you think you're going to be sitting back, you know, drinking your favorite tea beverage and swinging in a hammock, you know, watching the angels fly by, you're going to be busy glorifying God for eternity. And who's to say but what God has other entities, other galaxies, other, other creations that he's going to use you through eternity to help him govern and help him watch over. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, has not entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us. It's awesome. In eternity, Ephesians uh, 2.7 says he's going to put on a show to show how great his love is for us. God's going to put on a show and he's going to show off for you one of these days. So if you've got the mully grubs and you're feeling bad about life and you're wondering what's going to happen next week and next year and, and why things ain't working out for you, get your eyes off of you in the now and think about all the great things God has for our future. 
I go back regularly and read Revelation 21 and 22. That's the new heavens and the new earth. the, The light of the sun is not even needed because the glory of God lights the place up. Everything's pure, pristine, wonderful, great. There's joy so, so amazing that you can't stop smiling. I mean, come on, y'all. See, if you're feeling bad, get your eyes off of now and think about that. How many hear me? So anyway, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that God's done here. Real quickly here, um, uh, sin ruined God's plan. Romans 5, 17 through 21 is clear for by one man. Everybody okay? One man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by one man's offense, who's that? Adam came to all, uh, judgment came to all men. Uh, resulting in condemnation, even through the, through the one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For if by one, he keeps saying it over and over, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience. Who is that? Yeah. Many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so might might uh, grace ring through righteousness to, to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. So, you know, if you think salvation is just forgiveness of sins, you just really need to think again. Jesus came back to restore order. Jesus came to restore back to us, the human race, everything that Adam and Eve gave away when they sinned against God and when they obeyed God's arch enemy, Satan. And that's absolutely exciting. 1 John 3, 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I've mentioned on Sunday mornings, John 10, 10, The thief doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ will all be made alive. And that's not just for now, but it's for eternity. So what did Jesus do? Why did Jesus come, die on the cross, go to hell for us, be raised from the dead, be seated at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to pray for us? Why did he do that? Why is he coming back? Because God's restoring the original order to this planet. And he's, come, he's coming back to give us a grand, grand future. So the scriptures are full of all of these uh, tidbits of truth. Revelation 13, 8 uh, reveals that uh, uh, Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Listen to the verbiage. Just as he chose us in him from the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What does that mean? Even when God created the first man and first woman and he thought about all of the babies that they would have and all of the generations through the thousands of successive years that would live on planet earth. Even as God uh, uh, began and created and then we populated this planet, Jesus was was uh, in his sight knowing that if God gave us a human will and we rebelled against him with our will, he loved us so much that even before he created us, he created a plan to get us out of our problems. Is that good? That's just, I mean, you know, when you see God in those terms, it makes the problems in the current circumstance seem like, you know, if God can do all that, he can certainly meet my, my, 
rent payment, my house payment, my car payment, this weird thing where I've got to replace my dishwasher, my washer, and my refrigerator all at the same time. Certainly God can do things if he can do this thing this big, right? And so, and so Jesus came to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost when they sinned. This is a mystery and most people don't know the things that I'm sharing with you. Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul said this, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them. God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Ephesians 3, 1 through 11. I want to read it, but I'm running out of time. It reveals the fact that there is a mystery to the gospel and there's a mystery to the good news that most people don't know about. And that mystery is that in Christ, God is restoring everything that Adam and Eve lost uh, and making this planet an absolutely awesome, awesome place to live. To understand the book of Revelation, you got to understand that there are, there are three classifications of people in the Bible, only three. Now, we've got over 20 nations represented in our church, and there are 200 and something nations, and there's, there are ethnicities, uh, multitudes of them within each nation. So, but to God, this is the point, there are three classifications of people. He makes things really simple to understand. So all of us and every person you meet comes under the auspices of one of these uh, classifications of people and they're found in 1 Corinthians 10, 32. And to understand what, uh, God, what, what's happening when Jesus comes back, to understand the second coming of Christ, to understand the book of Revelation, the others understand these three classifications of people which are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or the Gentiles or to the church of God. So Jew, Gentile, church. Three classifications of people that God recognizes. And this is really important. Most people don't know this, but how many know that the Jewish race is the race that Jesus came from? And that's a very special race of people to God. Are Jews going to heaven because they're a special people? No, they go to heaven just like me and you when they make Jesus the Lord of their life. Jesus said, I am the door. Nobody enters into the kingdom of God except through the door. He is the door. The Jews got to go through the do door. The Gentiles got to go through the door. The, uh, anybody that's saved goes through the door of salvation and his name is Jesus. So I'm going to talk a minute about the Jewish race. They are God's covenant people. God made promises to them, and here's what you have to know about God. Anytime God made, makes promises, he always keeps them. And, and see, so what's encouraging when you study these things is if God made promises thousands of years ago that he intends to keep, then the promises that he made in Christ for you, he intends to keep today too. How many hear what I'm saying? God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change, as I mentioned Sunday morning. So the Jews are God's natural covenant people on earth from which came our Savior, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I would get a hold and get to know those verses well. And it says, now the Lord said, said to Abram, get out of your country. So here's a non-Jewish person who became the first Jew in the world. And his name was Abram. He was living in perhaps modern day uh, Iraq, Iran area. And it says, um, 
God said to him, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I'll show you. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And then he said, I'll bless those that bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you. All of the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, that's a promise that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago that is still being fulfilled today. How many hear what I'm saying? So, the Jewish race is a special race of people, starting with Abraham, that God raised up to bring salvation to the world and bring the Messiah to the world that would solve our problems. God is not through with the Jewish race. There are those who... They call it replacement theology, and they say that the church has replaced the Jewish race. That's not true. You can never replace what God started. No, God made promises to the Jewish race. Just listen to this. This is Romans 11, first couple of verses. I say then, has God cast away his people? That is, has he finished with the, human, the, the Jewish race? No, certainly not, Paul says. For I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, you've killed your prophets, tore down your altars, and I alone am left. And they seek my life, but what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved to my, for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. What was the Apostle Paul saying there? Even though the Jewish race, when Jesus came, they didn't accept his Messiahship. They didn't accept that he was the Son of God. They thought a king was coming, a lamb came. They thought a, a, a ruler was coming. no. No, just an ordinary person came who lived life the way we do, faced every temptation we face, was raised up just like any Jewish boy of his day was raised up, had to learn and be educated just like anybody else in his day was learned and educated. Only difference was he was God-made flesh. Is that not amazing? And, uh, and, uh, and um, And so the Jewish race, because Jesus came in a very obscure way, you know, born in a feeding, you know, laid in a feeding trough after he was born, and just very, very lowly circumstances, they rejected his Messiahship. And that's the reason that unbelief has come to the Jewish race all of these 2,000 years of the church age. They could not believe that the God of heaven, the God of absolute creation, would come and live within his creation. They couldn't, they couldn't handle it didn't make sense to them, and they reject him even to this day. There are Messianic Jews, and that's what the Apostle Paul says here. There are Messianic Jews who have, the the blinders have fallen off their eyes, and they've seen that Jesus Christ is the true God, that he is God made flesh, that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and they have accepted him. God has not forgotten the Jewish race, and you should, in one sense, be really, really, really glad Now, this sounds weird. You should be glad that they were in unbelief because they were. Then you know what? God started messing with the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. You know, my daddy had a tree when I was a little boy. We had fruit trees all over my yard. And we had, I think it was a pear tree, and he grafted some apples onto the pear tree. And, you know, my dad was quite the horticulturist. And so he showed me the graft and he got it from wherever. And, and, you know, he showed me how he cut a little notch, you know, out of a certain place on the limb of the tree. And then he, he grafted the new fruit on that one limb and it grew. Now, I think about that. That's what God did for you. 
When the, unbelie- when the Jew- Jews said, I don't believe that Jesus is Messiah. Well, God said, well, I'll just say you're in unbelief and I'm going to use your unbelief to bless the whole world. Now anybody can come into the family of God. Salvation is not just for Jews. Now it's for everybody. Is that not awesome? Yeah. The Gentiles have no claim of salvation. You've got Jews, Gentiles, the church. Uh, Gentiles have no claim of salvation. Ephesians 2, 11, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the faith um, who are unbelievers. That's what he's talking about. Who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. That's talking about the Jews made in the flesh by hands. That at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he talks about those that are without hope, having no hope, strangers from the covenants of promise, um, and those who were afar off. That's all of us before we came to know Jesus. And that's the most of the people that we live around, the people that we work with, the people in our families. Most of the people that we live around are in this classification of unbelievers. And how many know God so loved the world? And we're here to be a light to them. And I just have to ask myself every day, am I being the light that God's called me to be? And are you? How many know this? We couldn't hold the people that you will reach if all of us would make, a, make it our occupa- spiritual occupation every week to lead one person to Christ. Yes or no? That was so exciting to say. Jeez. They're Jews, they're Gentiles, and then there is the church of God. Now, this is interesting. We'll close with this. 1 Peter 2.10, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were not once not a people, but are now the people of God. Isn't that awesome? Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Isn't that good news? Then Romans 2.29, For he's not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he's a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And I know some of you are saying, why does the Bible talk about circumcision? That's kind of weird. I'm not circumcised. Well, that was the Old Testament sign of being in covenant with God. The man was circumcised. And that said to God that that family had a covenant with God. And it was a sign to the world that that family was different. When the males in a family were circumcised in the Jewish race, it showed the world that they had something special going on with God. So when you read that in the Bible, just understand it caused the Jewish race, quote unquote, the circumcision. That's the reason why. And it's emphasizing the covenant that they have with God. And again, there are those today who say that that the church has taken place of the Jewish race and that, and that God has no promises left to be made for the Jewish race. That's simply not true. In fact, the second coming of Christ is all about God honoring his word to Abraham, God honoring his word to David, God honoring the words that he's spoken through his prophets to his old covenant people, the children of Israel. I'm going to see that as we go through the book of Revelation. Listen as we close to Rev- Romans 11. This is the apostle Paul talking about the Jewish race and what God did as a result of their unbelief. He says, I say then, have they stumbled 
uh, that they should fall, certainly not. But through their fall, through the Jews' fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is the riches for the world, that is, the failure of the Jews to accept Jesus as Messiah, means all of us can be saved. Is that good news? And their failure, uh, riches for the Gentile, how much more their fullness Now, you know what I read when I read that? I don't care what you think is negative in your life. God can turn every negative into a positive. How many hear what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you think about about Joseph. I mean, he he was in prison for 13 years. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, and it looked like his life was completely over. But because he was put in prison and was taken to Egypt, when a famine came in the land, his entire family was spared because God allowed him to go through a hard place. You may think you're in a bad time right now in your life, but you don't know that the the, the hard hardship and the challenges that you face now don't even reveal the great thing that God just may be doing in the end process of what you're going through. Is that true? And that's what happened with the Jewish race. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. Think about Moses, who's 40 years old, killed a man and spent 40 years on the backside of the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep. And it looked like his life was over, but God was just preparing him to lead an entire nation out out of slavery into the promises that God made for them. So you may be in a place in life. In fact, I'm saying this. There's several people here. You're in a place in life that life doesn't make sense. Life is hard. Nothing's going right everything's wrong you can't see rhyme and reason you're aggravated with yourself you're aggravated with the people around you you're aggravated with God because nothing's changing and I'm here to tell you see what God can do in your life look at Moses he had every reason to be aggravated and feel like nothing would ever work out and it took 40 years for it to happen it took 13 years for Joseph but one day God appeared to Moses after 40 years in the burning bush and the next 40 years of his life were were, uh, filled with amazing triumphs from God. Is that not cool? I can tell you in my own life, the challenges that I faced in my life as a young man prepared me for today. And had I not been willing to go through the hard place and go through the grueling tests that I've been through, and, and I mean, they made me pray. I got aggravated. I got mad. I didn't see rhyme and reason at times to life. But you know what I found out? In all the bad, you can find out that God is good. And you'll also find out that in the bad time, the hard place, the tough place, God's honing your character for the things he'll use you for in your future. You know what's happening on earth right now? We're all going through our earth process. We're all in our human bodies and we're living our lives and raising our families and we're going to school and we got a job and we're doing our stuff. One day we leave these bodies and this life is just preparation for the life that is to come. And if we'll be faithful to God now, there's no telling what he's going to do for you in eternity and do with you in eternity. But if we don't pass the test now, then you know what? we got a whole lot of life lessons to learn when we get to the other side. Why not learn them now? Anyway, I found all that in those first two verses there, 11 and 12. He said, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke 
to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their, uh, if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world. He, Paul was a Jew and he said, he said, my brothers don't believe that Jesus is Messiah and I'm brokenhearted over them. He said, if, they, if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world and because of their unbelief, God's turned to the Gentile world. All of us are Gentiles if we're not Jews and, they, and we can be saved. He says, then, uh, then what's going to happen? Um, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. He calls the, the, Israel, the, the children of Israel, he calls the kingdom of God an olive tree. He calls the Israelites the branches of an olive tree. He calls us, we're grafted in branches on an olive tree because of their unbelief. Can God use the things that you think are negative in life and produce something positive out of them? Yes or no? You better believe he can. And, and when you go through the book of Revelation, you'll see this kind of thing over and over and over again. So he goes on to say here, he says, You will then say branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail. Severity but towards you goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you, may, you will be cut off also. Paul was challenging us, the church. If, we're, if we say we're believers, walk and act like Jesus. Uh, be, walking with Jesus and living by faith through grace doesn't mean that we live any way we want to live now because we have a relationship with God. It may, means that we hone into God and we live a holy life. And he said, if God rejected the, the Jewish race because of unbelief and because of their unbelieving lifestyle, be aware he may reject you because of your unbelieving lifestyle. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? That's a huge challenge. And the church today needs to hear that. And all of us need to wake up to the grace that God has given us and walk in the light of what he's done for us. How many hear that? So he goes on to say, For the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Verse 29. For as you were once disobedient to God, you have now obtained mercy through disobedience. Even so, these also have who have now been disobedient through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all, talking about the Jewish race, to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Then he ends all of this by saying, Oh, the depths and riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways, past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? So you know what? You may not understand. And right now, life may not make sense to you. But how many know God's wiser, bigger? And there's always a scheme in everything God does. In the big scheme of things, there's a scheme for, for, for Jesus to come and right all of the wrongs because of Adam and Eve's sin and the thousands of year, years of rebellion and the disobedience and the thousands of years of, of Satan oppressing the atmosphere of this planet. But one day Jesus is coming back to right every wrong, to, 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 to boot the oppressors out and to bring 
bring back to this planet what God originally had here, a pristine place for life and love and fellowship and the glory of God. Isn't it awesome? I don't know what you're facing right now, but when you read these things and you understand they're the Jews, there's the Gentiles, and there's the, there are the church of God. There are three diff- different classifications of people on the earth. God is still dealing with the Jewish race. And anytime you study the book of Revelation or anything about the second coming of Christ, you've got to understand all of that really hinges around understanding that God loves the Jewish race because God called Abraham by his name. God called Abraham away from his family. And from Abraham, he created this this race we call the Jewish race. And they're, they're a special race of people that God made a covenant with. And Jesus coming back is about God fulfilling the promises to that race. God revealing himself to that race of people. God using the church to minister to them and to the rest of the world. And, and, and the second coming of Christ is, is about God bringing back to this earth the order that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned. There's the Jew, there's the Gentile, and there is the church of God. God's concerned about all three. When we come back and talk about this next time, to understand the book of Revelation, there are four covenants that God has made. Covenants are irrevocable. When God makes a covenant, it's for eternity. And this is going to make sense to you. Read the papers, you read current events, and you know... um, There are those who believe that Israel should not be a nation. I've traveled a lot uh, through uh, from here to the other side of the world. Most trips were 10,000 miles plus. And every plane I've, most of the planes I got on never recognized the nation of Israel. That's uncanny because the planes I got on, they have these little maps and you can see the little plane and you start where you are, usually start in London, England, and and then it became Dubai, United Arab Emirates. And and then you're looking at all the nations all around the Middle East and you never see the nation of Israel name by name. Have you noticed that? If you've done any flying, you would go, that's weird. Why isn't Israel on the map? Because the world doesn't want to recognize what God said. And when you understand what the Bible says, the nation of Israel existing is a supernatural sign that Jesus Christ is coming back. God promised their ancestors that property, and there's nobody on earth or in hell that's going to kick them off of it. So I got a lot to say. If you're not a Zionist, get ready. You're going to be one. A Zionist is the person that believes that God gave land to Israel. I believe it. And if you're listening online and you don't believe in Zionism, if you don't believe that God gave land to Israel, hey, come and talk to me. God's got a lot to say about our future together. Come and hear. 